Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 61, Homicidal Maniac Crazy. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 2 of Buffy, Living Conditions, and the 2009 Doctor Who Christmas special, The End of Time, Part 1. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so back to Buffy this week. Um, yeah. Very exciting. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I kind of two weeks, s- in fact, a fortnight. Yeah, um, and longer than that because before the season premiere, we had we did a week of like the recap. So oh, we right, had a right. Week yeah. off in between, so it's like been like almost a month since I've seen a new episode of Buffy. So anyway, um, I, I about that. want to start with um, not kind of before we get into what the metaphor is. I want to kind of bring up the metaphor of the week because mm-hmm. it's something that we talked about pretty much every episode in the first season and and a good chunk sure. of the second, um, mm-hmm. but. Like we said, something that kind of got not phased out. It's just that, like, that was almost like, well, I, I, will, I will say phased out in the sense of it was a phase that the show went through. Like, it was a, a way to get into the mm-hmm. story. Like, it was a way, you know, before you really knew the characters that well, it was a way to kind of get the story, you know, going so that you would yeah. have, like, you know, it was a way to mesh the kind of high school drama stuff with the mm-hmm. genre stuff, you know? Like, right. so you could kind of have both of them because the supernatural stuff stands for the angst that you go through in high school and everything. But then I think... Right. And that's not a, a, a bad thing that needs to be, like... It's not like that was a thing that needed to be done away with, but I think you, the show grew out of it because the more you get to know the characters they can kind of carry the story on their own. You know, they yep. don't need um, the overarching metaphor. It's like you know the Scoobies well enough that whatever's going on with them is kind of sufficiently interesting enough, mm-hmm. you know, that that carries the drama. And then you start to get much more, like, character-driven, you know, and mythological, and it's all about, like... And pretty right. much last season, it was all just this interweaving of, you know the stuff with, uh, you know, Angel and Faith and everything and kind of following yeah, those yeah. stories from one to the and next. It, and especially the back half of the season where you get, like, bad girls, choices, consequences, yeah, like, you know, like, like, yeah, like, like heavily, one after another. Like one story kind of being followed, or yeah. one story arc, I guess, being followed over multiple episodes. And they don't, yeah. none of them have, like, a clear-cut, you know, allegorical kind of, like, this stands yeah. for this experience or whatever. Which, um, which I would contrast with the earlier episodes in the seasons a little bit. I, I think you're right that overall season three is less metaphory of the weekish. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that that's a weird way of saying that. Uh, but like you know, in the in the earlier part of the season, you had episodes like Band Candy, Dead Man's Party. Sure. You had yeah. um, Homecoming, even which which is sort of metaphor of the week, but also is a nice contrast to the prom. You know what I mean? Like right, there's right. The, like, like there's still, you're still kind of looking ahead with those. And, right. And, and so maybe it is something that, that happens happen, naturally but... in any given season that it starts mm. out more 
standalone well, and encapsulated. And then the further you go on in the season, you get more um, intertwined and a little bit like more complicated yeah. and everything. Or, or even in looking back, you you understand a little better how those earlier what seemed like one-off episodes, right. you know, right. actually do fit into the larger arc a little better. Right, and, right. Like, thematically, they point to something. Um, and I would say, but, like, you know, even among, you know, like the ones I was just mentioning, you know, with bad girls and consequences and choices and this and that, um, you know, and then you get to the prom and the final, you know, graduation day stuff, you know, in the midst of that, you have earshot, which right. is a more... Right. One off metaphor right. of the week, but still is sort of steeped because yeah. there's the payoffs that come, the multiple yeah. payoffs that come, not just, you know, not just with Buffy and, you know, Jonathan at the prom and that kind of stuff, but with the gathering together of all the people where, you know, you have this episode talking about, you know, how everyone's so apart and divided and you never really know what's going on in someone's side of someone's head. But then by the end of the season, you have this whole group of people standing up and, uh, you know, fighting together this, you know, these people who were just sort of thrown into high school, you know, by, by circumstance, by accident, they happen to be the same age. So that's what made them all end up in the same place at the same time. But yeah. now they're fighting together against this demon. And, um, man, we've sort of gone down that road quite a bit. I guess we it's have. telling so, about this episode, how much we're talking about last season. Right. <laughs> well, and so why I wanted to bring that up is that I think transitioning from high school into college gives you a whole new menu of experiences to draw from. So mm. it seems like initially, and again, this is not like it's like a bad thing or a step back, but it seems like initially mm -hmm. it, it kind of inevitably is going to have a little bit more of that metaphor of the week variety because you have new experiences, you know, because now we have, you know, something Buffy's never had before, which is a roommate, you know? <laughs> so as soon right. as you have like, and it's such a, again, like, the thing about the high school and the college stuff is it's all so relatable. You know, it's things that, it's finding fun and scary and genre ways to talk about experiences which are very common, you know? Right, so, right. Um, and that's a great opportunity to do that. So, so this feels like kind of, you know, a throwback to that kind of, you know, mode of storytelling, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, and we've all been there, you know, like without getting too personal about it. You know, I watch this episode and I find myself relating to it rather strongly. <laughs> so, um, you know, I sure. think that's a really good kind of uh, opportunity for the show. Um, and it is like after a very heavy mythological finish to the season. And I'm sure as this season goes on, it's going to, again, get more you know, twisty and complicated and dark and all those things, it is kind of nice to do a f a, something that's a little bit more fun, something that's a little bit of a standalone um, and, mm -hmm. and very kind of clear in what it's going for. You know, right. like it's a very yeah. strong premise and, you know, it might not be the most mythologically, you know, weighty, but it's like you get what it's doing and it kind of satirizes the situation pretty effectively, I think. Right. 
Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, and you need those. You need the, this is, this would be the recovery phase, right? If we're talking right. Tolkien sort yeah. of yeah. Uh, mythology here, it's, it's the, yeah, it's, you don't necessarily have to think hard to get it. I think, I, I think the way I put it to you is there's not a lot of citations for this episode <laughs> in, in, in the Slade's journal, yeah. you know, um, there are a few and there's some stuff to say about it, but you know, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's, it's fine. It's a good middling episode. It's not bad. We've certainly seen worse metaphor of the week episodes sure. <laughs> than this one. Um, but you know, it's not. It's not winning any awards either. So, yeah. um, you know, good stuff. Uh, so let's talk about it because I think we can probably get through it relatively quickly. Sure. <laughs> before we get into the much weightier <laughs> Doctor Who episode this week. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Talk about a contrast. But um. um so yeah. yeah. I mean, you get. I mean, so it's like again it's a it's it's almost satirical in the sense of humor like you get something that you you want to having a a nightmarish you know dare i say demonically you know evil roommate and wanting to mm-hmm. kill her and it takes that and kind of you know literally runs away it and yeah. makes it and makes it like you know, what starts out as just kind of the annoyances builds to this sort of, like, they actually are going to kill each other kind of finish. Mm-hmm. There's something kind of, like, enjoyably cathartic about it. You know, like, you kind of wish you could be Buffy in that situation and just, you know, be, like, you know, like actually have a brawl on the floor. You know, like... Yeah, yeah. Um, but But starting with things... So, again, building to this kind of, like absurd buffy you know not apocalyptic but like kind of demonic you know multi-dimensional finish but you start with the most mundane and relatable things like you start with them (laughs) trying to be really polite to each other but being that kind of (laughs) passive aggressive politeness of being annoyed and wanting to confront but being too shy to really come out and say what it is you're thinking so you know like the the stuff about asking Buffy um, if she knows what happened to the milk, when clearly mm-hmm. you know, like Buffy says, like you know, it could be a thief. Well, who? What thief? Like nobody's here. Like yeah. the only thief is Buffy. So right. it's like a way of calling Buffy a thief without actually calling her a thief, which is a way mm-hmm. of saying you know, hands off, you know. But, um, but then again, at the same time saying, you know, oh, but it's okay. But it's Feel fine. free to help yourself. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It clearly isn't okay. <laughs> like, no, yeah, no, it, it is that, like, that. that's that passive aggressive of, you know, especially if you, you know, are kind of finicky or maybe haven't lived with someone before of, of yeah. feeling that being a difficult um, transition, but right. uh, being too polite or too shy to do anything about it you know like right you can't actually or, accuse someone you know you have to just let them know that you're secretly kind of accusing them you know but you're too nice to say anything <laughs> so yeah and and not even like polite or shy per se i mean i i think you're right that that's sort of what's coming across here but like also like not really having the tools to deal with that kind of thing because right. uh, you know as as Kathy says you know when when they do sort of start having it out Kathy's like you know I think your problem is that you're spoiled you've never had to share and now you have to and and it's kind of funny because in a way that's true 
but also Kathy's acting the same way. Like, right, right. Y- you know, it's like you have this great insight about this other person, but you're kind of being the same way yourself. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, maybe maybe practice what you preach a little. Yeah, um, no, and you get that kind of, you know, it, it becomes warfare. You know, it becomes outdoing each other with how annoying, you know, mm-hmm. the more they annoy each other, the more they want to go out of their way to annoy each other, you know? <laughs> so, like, right. if she's playing her music, well, I'm going to pop my gum or tap my pencil really loud or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which makes her turn the music up louder, which, you know, so it's like this kind of yeah. escalating thing of, like, non-confrontation. <laughs> right. Well, and I love how they played off, like, you, you know, it gets to the point where Buffy's, you know, annoyed, annoyed or whatever, and, and she's talking about it, and that's all, like, when uh, they're sort of in the lounge there, and, and Buffy's like, oh, yeah, I had this really weird dream where, like, there was this demon, and there was this whole blood ritual thing, but, oh, you know, Kathy was, uh, you know, clipping her toenails or whatever, yeah. and it's like, that was so horrible, and they're all kind of like... Let's put this back into perspective. I think the, you know, dreaming about demons stealing your blood yeah, after yeah. you just ran into a demon, like, that, there might be something to that. But Buffy, you know, you get the sense of Buffy can't, you know, see past these petty peeves that she has. No, um, yeah, and we've all been done that, too. Like, where oh, yeah, like absolutely. That is more important than even the really, imp- like, I think it's like, right. she says the worst thing is that Kathy had the same dream. So she's, like, sharing her dreams now. And Oz is like... Yeah, I think the blood down the throat would be a little worse than that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like that. That seems a little, a little bit of an issue. Yeah. Well, and 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 of course, and it continues to escalate, and they get to the point where you know Buffy finally decides she's evil. She has to die, and you're like, well, okay, now clearly Buffy has sort of flipped her lid. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're I think pretty much invited you know along with willow and oz and the rest of them to think that buffy's kind of gone off the deep end here and i love how willow sort of deflects her to giles (laughs) you know (laughs) she's feeling a little crazy so i sent her to you okay Um, yeah well and and willow's (laughs) like i love that um they kind of put the commercial break right in the in the middle there because buffy does her like well it's obvious we have to kill her you know and then it kind of cuts and then it comes mm-hmm. back to Willow completely, like, deflating it with, like, don't you just want to switch rooms? Like, right. Just yeah. like, like, there could be a rational yeah. way to resolve this well, pretty like, minor... Taking, taking something which is, like, completely, like, the genre thing of, like, Buffy thinks she's fighting a demon and she has to fight evil and all this stuff, and Willow, once again, making it about, like, the most average college problem you know like right, right. you don't have to this isn't like yeah i mean it does turn out to be the demon but it's like willow having to <laughs> remind us like wait a minute this is not like some demonic thing this is like a problem yeah. that everyone has and there's an administrative way to deal with this yeah, like we <laughs> like really without don't stakes. have to kill anyone we can just like switch a room and it'll be fine like th- yeah. i love that kind of interplay between like the epic and the completely average you know Mm -hmm. mundane um right it's really well 
and and so then you get to the point where Buffy goes back to the room to confront. And, of course, we all know what confront means when right, right. Buffy is in sleigh mode, right? Um, so, you know, but then you get this, like, little, like, she kicks her in the shin. Like, right. oops. Like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. And then that moment that she pulls the face or the mask, I guess, off. And she's like, I was right. Yeah. I knew it. And And you get this moment of, like... Okay, yes, there's that feeling of total vindication, but at the same time, in order for Buffy to be that excited about being right, she actually must have been having some doubts about whether she was right. So, so again, you kind of like, you know, there's there's even multiple levels there of, you know, is she? Well, and I think too the really kind of because you get little hints of it, like you get um, Kathy saying something kind of weird that freaks willow out about like one of these days somebody you know buffy's gonna push someone too far you know and willow kind of is like a little chilled by that but other than that you don't really think that buffy's right about the whole right. kathy being a demon thing you know you're pretty much with the like buffy's either so obsessed with this that she can't think straight or she really is like possessed by something you know like you don't expect her to be right so i think the the shocker is when like you said like buffy does something stupid like she kind of kicks out but not even really with any force but then kathy like gives her a really good smack and that's when you realize (laughs) like this isn't just buffy being crazy like it does go both ways like at least if if buffy's being homicidal well kathy is too you know like they have right. this kind of mutual loathing. Yeah, it, it it takes two to tango. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, right, and then you, you you know so within all of that, you're getting the um, sort of the misdirection of the demons too, right? Saying, "Oh, she's the one," and whatever. And and of course, whenever anyone says that on Buffy, we know they're talking about Buffy, right? Like right. she must be the one. She's you know we we have to make sure that she's really it. Oh, she is the one, and yeah. whatever. Well, Buffy is the one. She's the Slayer. Whenever a demon talks about you know wanting to uh, track down or punish or kill or whatever someone it's always buffy like she's the target all the time yeah um except in a few cases where it's been kendra or faith right but in those instances it's another slayer you know what i mean like it's not right like and we know faith is out of the action right now too so there's not even like that possibility really sort of in our minds um at this point it's it the whole thing is is the play on our own expectations which i think is great too because then you're not you're not just subverting sort of the the genre forms you're subverting the expectations of the people who've been watching buffy right knowing that buffy subverts the genre forms you know so you get kind of that double double uh double take there with all of that um but yeah they have their spat and you learn that kathy is in fact a demon and yeah. <laughs> that she's run away from her parents to go to college yeah. and I <laughs> which is like kind how, of a like, funny it is i liked how um even when she's like in her revealed demonness and like speaking to them she sounds like the kind of whiny teenager that she is like she's yeah. like it's like she just got caught out late and is getting like sent home but she's like protesting yeah. and everything um yeah when are you going to stop treating me like I'm 900? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, fun, fun times, good times. I enjoyed the kind of vicariousness of that episode. Like, it's kind of fun to, like, go along with Buffy and, like, feel, like, annoyed on her behalf and everything. Um, And, like, the great moments of, like, you know, getting to drink the milk or like, you know, all those really petulant things that you just want to do in that situation. Um, but you know, Kathy was a very frustrating, you know, cause again, (laughs) look, we know, you know, you know, people like that. Most of us have lived with people like that. Um, so I I can't, as much as I enjoyed the episode, I'm not sorry that she's gone (laughs) cause it's like, (laughs) that would be like an annoyance to kind of put up with, you know, like, right, I, I think right. as, much, it's, as much for us as for Buffy, you know, she was, like, and not, like, a bad character, but, you know, it's, like, she's deliberately designed to be, you know, right. irritating. Um, right. Well, and, and it, it gives an excuse to not have Buffy and Willow immediately be roommates. Yeah, well, of course, gives, they are now. And it gives an, but, an excuse to do this story, you know, because you couldn't if it was Buffy and Willow. Like, mm-hmm. you could do some variation on it where they had a hard time, but you can't you can't really have them try to kill each other, you know, and, like, right. whatever. Right. So, it's like, they had to do the kind of, in order to, to it's kind of like, again, if you're going to do college stuff, you have to do stories about the college experience, and this is one of those things. So, you have to mm-hmm. let that, you know do its thing before you can kind of, okay, now right. we're going to room them, and it's going to be more, again, more about the characters. Now that they're living together, you can have more character-driven stuff. Um, right, right. Where they're in the same room, so Buffy doesn't have to sneak around and all this other stuff. Right, right. Um, yeah, well, it's, uh, right, so because Willow's having her own roommate issues. Apparently. Yeah, and She's... I like, too, that there's that kind of, going on in the background that kind of acknowledges like there's more than one type of difficult you know roommate there are the really the really controlling anal you know um finicky ones but then there is like the crazy you know partying ones that like your own room is you know public property and everything um Mm -hmm. so i like that they have those both going on because you kind of get like it's not all one type of person that's the problem it's like everybody has a hard time when they go to college and have to learn how to live with other people and um, sure and in slightly different ways so sure um, um, and you mentioned too before we started that you get um hints of xander's own difficult adjustment too even though he's not at college um, he's still yeah, having no, to adjust to the post high school way of being. <laughs> it, it's easy to sort of look at the episode as just Buffy and Kathy, but yeah. you know, it's titled living conditions and, and we're invited to take a look at all of the different living conditions of not just Buffy and Kathy, but Willow and her roommate, as we talked about. And then also recognize that Xander is having his own <laughs> issues with, uh, you know, we got hints of it before about having to pay rent and living in the basement. Now, on top of that, he also has to pay for any food that he eats at his parents' yeah. house. So, of course, what does he do? Being, you know, the body, yeah. he comes and eats off of Willow's yeah. plate. And we know that yeah. Willow's not going to stop him from doing that. So, 
Um, that's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. And actually, I didn't I didn't think of this before, but we also get you know Giles, which isn't really yeah, different living true. conditions, but but we get um, he seems to be enjoying a bit more freedom than he used to being without he, being without the library job and and it's not like he's not the watcher anymore at all but less less in constant contact with buffy in the scooby so he seems yeah. more like he's embracing his life and doing like he's out running and he's going to check out this book and everything like you get more of a sense of what his life is beyond being the watcher i guess well that's all true i i was gonna actually talk about the more visual aspect though because um most of the time when we've seen giles in his apartment it's been him in his apartment or the others in the apartment and here we actually get a different view a completely different view where it almost is a completely different place, even though we know it's right outside yeah. of his door. It's this little like courtyard or atrium right, right, kind of thing. Right. You know, it's we don't actually go inside to see what we're sort of comfortable with, and and we're invited to sort of take a new look at you know the place where Giles lives. Um, so even though it hasn't changed, we're kind of looking at it as Buffy does through a different you know, through different eyes, so to speak, you know, oh, this is nice. I wish I had a quiet place like this, maybe to take right, my tea, right, right. <laughs> you know, um, and that kind of thing. Cause you know, she does end up saying that she wants to sort of hang out there until her roommate goes to class. Right. So, you know, not in Giles's apartment, not, you know, whatever, but not with him per se, but kind of in this other place that yeah. didn't, didn't like sort of to our minds it really didn't exist before but now it does and now right. we get to sort of see it there so um right it's you know like again even get, though we get kind of an expanded view of giles house as we kind of yeah. get an expanded view of his life in a way um right right like you kind of get this it's like it's not like we learn a lot about what else he's doing but you get a sense of what else he does when it's not mm -hmm. you know directly with Buffy. Um, right. So you're right. Like, you kind of get... That's almost like a little visual cue of, like, oh, there are rooms that we didn't know about, you know? And, like, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. place is bigger than we thought. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. That's good. Definitely. So, so yeah. So we get the, the living conditions of all sort of the Scoobies. I, I guess except Oz. We don't really find out where he lives no, or anything, No, I mean, we know we? he's living in a house with his bandmates right but we don't know anything right, about right. but we haven't like seen it or that situation whatever. um although we do Oz get a few minor like things would be very phased by stuff um oh no well, you know what before we talk about oz i just also wanted to bring up um because it relates to buffy and kathy um the this new guy parker um oh right because uh mm -hmm. You know, he kind of gets roped into this conflict because um, Buffy meets <laughs> yeah. him avoiding Kathy um, and he's, you know, kind of nice and, and like kind of shows her how to game the cafeteria system and everything. Um, and yeah. goes out of his way to bring her plastic bags. So it seems like there's a little bit of a spark there. Um, but like, of course, ends up like in the middle of 
this fight that's going on, you know, because, of course, Kathy's going to entertain him while they're waiting for Buffy and everything. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, so, yeah, what, hmm. That's an interesting way to say that, to entertain him. So, yeah, it, it is very much Buffy walks in and they're having a conversation, yeah. right? It's seems sort of flirty, yeah. maybe, a little. Yeah. and, and um, But, yeah, you, and again, you kind of wonder, like, is Buffy being crazy? Like, she's only met this guy once in the cafeteria in line and they kind of flirted a little, too. But And he clearly came to her room to see her. Like, I mean, he came to visit and give her... I mean, the baggies, like, it's not much of a gift, right? Clearly he was coming to yeah, do whatever, but but here's here's Kathy honing in, even though, despite her protests, that she isn't. Right, right. Uh, and, and he seems to be having a conversation back with her, you right, know, I mean, yeah. like, is it friendly? Is he into her as well? Like, you know, what's yeah. the deal here kind of thing. And that's, those are all, I'm sure, you know, part of what's going on in Buffy's mind too, is like, what's going on? Cause she seems to kind of get mad at him. Right. Uh, right. As well. And then sort of apologizes, but like, yeah, like whose fault, if it's anyone's fault, if there's even fault to be had, right. you know, is all of this situation. And is it, right. Cause you don't know sort well of, enough to know, is he just, a friendly nice person or is he gonna hit on any girl that is is there and cute and whatever so like yeah you know, or we is don't it, really know him well enough to is it buffy's overactive mind because this is also when she's thinking that right. you know kathy's just being a jerk about all of the different stuff that's going on so you right. know it, it like it could be any of those things yeah um, so i just wanted to make sure we because you know um i don't know how important if he, if at all important he might be or or you know how much of a role he has to play but you know we don't know a lot of students yet so it's kind of worth yeah keeping our right. eye out for him i think right we and we've met a couple new people we met Riley yeah last time yeah um, and i mean it is like you know but but and it's slightly different to that because with Riley you had the kind of upperclassman who doesn't really acknowledge, you know, right. the freshman. Whereas here you get something more reciprocal, I think. You know, you have kind of yeah. the possibility of of him being interested or more of a relationship. So um, right, and Riley is a TA too, so it's you know more of a he's not quite a teacher, but more of of faculty. Or yeah, pseudo. not yeah. I was I almost said authority figure, but that isn't quite right either. Like I'm not right. There like there's a, a there's an administrative or yeah. or uh, academic sense in which yeah, uh, it might be Riley is or, actually yeah. over her in yeah, some way yeah. or whatever. Whereas Parker, you're right, is more of a peer and and seems yeah, more like, reciprocal. I don't, I don't think I get the impression that he's also a freshman. He seems a little older, but like someone who's maybe a year or two older, a little bit more Right. a little bit more relatable, I guess, from where she right. is. So No, I, he calls Buffy a freshman, which sort of right. implies that he's, he's not. not one. Yeah. Right. But yeah, but we don't know mm -hmm. um you know what year or whatever he is. Yeah. Um so yeah, no, good 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 to mention him. We will look for him. He may or may not appear <laughs> again later. All he, right. All right. 
Um, um, but yeah, yeah. Okay, but we I did have a few things about Oz um, mm-hmm. to go back to Oz, um, even though we sure. don't find out about his living conditions. But um, <laughs> I love that he offers to go be the girl. The girlfriend, yeah, not yeah. girlfriend, but the female friend of Buffy, <laughs> and do all the stuff that Willow wishes that yep. she could do. Yeah, yeah, and then you kind of find out it's because he doesn't really want to do his homework, so nothing's changed. It's the same old Oz, you know. Um, but right, yeah, the Oz like, who was held back a year because he just didn't want to do any work. Yeah, yeah, as a much. creator. Yeah, so he's he's off to a good start um, in his first two weeks of school or whatever this is. Um, right. But yeah. And I mean the, actually that I don't, I don't know. I feel like they must've, you know, cribbed this line, but that line about braiding each other's hair, there's something similar in an episode of lost someone. I think Charlie says something about braiding, you know, we don't have to braid each other's hair. And, I, and when I heard that, I thought, Oh, I think they stole that joke. Um, so I don't yeah, know it could be. whether that, means anything to anybody not, else but me not but saying we'll braid each other's it. hair probably i love that he throws in the probably yeah, there probably. too like pro- probably probably, probably yeah. we'll braid each other um no but it was cool to see oz like involved and not just you know not just with willow like you know involved on his own and kind of um you know kind of more independently that way um yeah and being kind although of, there is still a sense that he's doing it for Will. De- well, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, no, it's not like it's... Un- but it's still like... You know, it's it, it's not like he's with, with Will every scene. It's like nice to mix them up a little bit and to get like a Buffy and Oz scene. You know, it's like slightly different than, you know... The normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, sure. Definitely. Just kind of spices it up a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, and you get his kind of like her over enthusiasm contrasted with his just very unfazed, you know, like her. She like, yeah. And sarcastic. Like, like yeah. splits the bench in half. And his reaction is like, you know, on the plus side, you killed the bench and it was looking shifty. Like, it's just <laughs> right. nice to have like. One person totally freaking out, and the other like not reacting at all. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So that well, was and, good. And and the sort of grounding influence where he tries to like say, "Hey, yeah, yeah." All of your ranting here is could potentially be scaring off you know, all the demons, making you a yeah. target or scaring things away or yeah. whatever. And but it, like Buffy just gets even angrier yeah, at yeah. that. Like, oh, she's affecting my work now too. It's like, well. You're the one affecting your work. Yeah. Like, this is not her affecting your work. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, definitely a, a, a funny scene there. Yeah. Um, and uh, we get that this kind of strange little moment um, where he passes a group of students, I assume, kind of going mm. the other way on the path. And mm-hmm. he and one of the girls kind of give each other this look. You know, they both kind of notice each other and have, like, puzzled expressions and sort of... Yeah. And it's not just him. You know, they kind of turn and look at each other. Um, mm. So, you know, the only thing that occurred to me is... Um, 
when with the with the demons with the with the Kathy demon thing, they were talking about how they can recognize each other, um, and something about that made me think. Hmm. It just seemed like almost a moment of recognition, like there was something that each of them noticed about the other, Oz and this girl. So it kind of made me wonder, you know, is she another werewolf maybe? Or, you know, or something supernatural that, like, they both had this kind of sixth sense that, oh, like two dogs kind of, you know, noticing and circling each other a little bit or something. Um, Sure. And then you also, it, what looked like to me, you know, we talked about those guy, the soldiers with the, with the guns who were going after the last vampire from that gang that Buffy kind of took down last time mm. to do what, I don't know. But um, as that group of students is walking away, you see one of those guys um, kind of in the background and it seems like he's following them like he's heading in the same direction it seems as though he's sort of stalking them in the same way that they were going after the vampire last time so it could be like you know going after that girl or going maybe it's a whole pack of werewolves or maybe like or maybe there's something else entirely but it seems like something is you know you know targeting students or maybe supernatural students on campus or something um yeah and you know to do what i don't know but you know obviously like something's being hinted at so we want to kind of keep our eye out for these soldier guys i guess and we'll see how right any of those theories are sure and i'm being intentionally quiet about all of that (laughs) <laughs> don't have to confirm or deny anything. Good, because I will. All right. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny. <clears throat> um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's all all good stuff to notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. We uh, will we'll see where all of that goes. I don't know where to go from there because well, there's we not have, much more to say. Do we have anything else about Giles or did we just want to... I mean, his whole, like, you know, oh, it's a good day. A friend of mine acquired a Gutenberg demonography and it suddenly occurs to me that you've never asked me about my day's plans, <laughs> which leads me to inquire whether you're feeling entirely yourself. You know, that little rant was yeah, yeah. good. Like, again... Like, right. You have the sense of the gentleman of leisure who's just sort of enjoying life, you know, at this point. He's not really doing much of anything. Um, yeah. And he's just sort of relaxing and embracing his solitude and kind of, you know, lack of, you know, employment. So. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you get the sense of him jumping back into, like, when Buffy comes you know, to ask, he's, he's right there. He's ready to talk about what's wrong. He's ready to do the research and whatever. So you do get the sense that maybe the running and all of that is sort of filling Filling or trying to fill, you know, a hole that he has, you know, he still like worries about, I noticed he came onto the campus to meet Mm -hmm. with them. You know, it's not like they always have to go to him. He did come. Um, and like is worried about how Buffy's acting and, and looking into what it could be and, you know, 
So, yeah, it's not like he's, you know, he, that whole pretense of you don't need a watcher anymore, you can handle this, is sort of gone at this point. Like, he's happy to be involved, um, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, cool. Are we ending yeah. way early? I think I think we're, I mean, a few minutes, because technically... You know, this is what we're at the forty-minute mark, I know. and and this is what used to be on time. Forty-five minutes was our allotted yeah. space. So well, yeah, yeah. No, that I think stopped like six months ago. But anyway, I think we, I think we, uh, yeah, I think we're good. I think the only other sort of thing is the 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 brief allusion <laughs> that Buffy makes to Giles when she says, "Last time, you know, you were finding right. your youth." Uh, again, another reference back to band candy. Which yeah. is always fun, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I think I think that's enough for this episode. I will just sort of note that next episode uh, of Buffy, which we won't talk about for a couple weeks because we'll have <laughs> Angel between then. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will get the return of some other characters. So it, I, one of the things that I know was expressed sort of at the time and and has been expressed about season four is when you get, you get the disappearance of people like, you know, Charisma Carpenter and, um, you know, David Boreanaz and even, uh, you know, even with Alexis Denisov as Wesley, Mm -hmm. you know, you get sort of these, this whole, this gap of, you know, um, personalities that have sort of been built up and while they you didn't rely on them every week or all the time you do notice sort of that they're missing so i think this episode might sort of point that out more than maybe others okay. <laughs> um because because it is sort of it's just the scoobies like literally right, right. that's it um inclu- including oz as a scooby which i think is fair yeah um and and you know so you know you do have sort of this these holes that you have to get to but there's also um i know at the time there was sort of the concern about how do you keep bringing them together when you do have the fact that like giles and xander don't live on campus um Mm -hmm. and even willow and buffy weren't living together now they are but you know oz doesn't live you know with them but now that willow's living with buffy like it makes more sense if he's sort of hanging out with them too so so you're starting to see not just you know, like all the stuff we said before about sort of the metaphor of the week, I think is right. But you're also sort of seeing like, okay, how do we have this situation, you know, how do we resolve this situation of where you have this close knit group that had a reason to sort of be together all the time, AKA they were in school together, you know, how now that they're not, how do you sort of pull them together? And then what do you do to sort of fill that hole of, of those folks who were part of the group and have left. Yeah. So I and think that's that what very, that's what happens in life too. It's like, Oh you yeah. Graduate college and people, you know, it's hard to maintain those friendships when you're not or, in the same place every day or, or certain members go off somewhere else and you find that that is yeah. a now a hole in the group, which is hard to fill. So or you even know, graduating high school and people going to different colleges, yeah, you know, exactly. in different cities. And yeah, that kind so of thing. I think it, 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 so it's kind of fitting that the show would have a little yeah. bit of growing pains with that, I think. You know, because mm-hmm. that kind of is exactly the kind of growing pains the group would be having. You know, it's kind of 
Mm-hmm. Okay, we're in a new situation and it's not as easy. We don't see each other all the time anymore. So you have to kind of find excuses to get together, you know, and find a different way for the group to sort of relate to each other, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And potentially add members, you know, like those are holes that could be filled by new characters and things. So. And, and, and they may be, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, again, that's all, that's all part of, uh, you know, one of this, you know, one of the concerns about sort of having Angel get a spinoff and then, you know, what do you do with this season four where they're too old to be in high school anymore and and how do you resolve all of that? So anyway. All, all good stuff yet to talk about. See, I, I was able to fill up almost five minutes. There we go. Um, so, we, so we made our time. Perfect. Um, that said, let's move on to the end of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are going to start with the narrator, who we learn is Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Timothy Dalton. <laughs> um, and uh, who is also a Time Lord, which makes sense. I mean... Timothy Dalton, of course, is a Time Lord. Yeah. Uh, that, James that, Bond has to be a Time Lord. You of know? course. Yeah. Obviously. Um, no, well, James I, Bond so, is a Time Lord. You know that, right? Because he regenerates and, you know, has been around for 50 years and all this that stuff. Anyway. I had not thought of that, but that makes sense. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, and that's why he can have the same car in different incarnations. And it, mm-hmm. makes, it makes everything make total sense. Anyway. Absolutely. So. Yeah. No. Wow. You just blew my mind. Blew, there. blew your mind. Um, so with, I, I wanted to talk about the narrator first because there's actually a, a bit of story just around the narration sure, itself. Absolutely. And, you know, it starts out just very generic narratory. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know. I don't remember if we've gotten narration before. I I was trying to I remember that. that. And the only thing I could think of was Elton in Love and Monsters. But yeah, again, but that's, it's, that's it's, part of the frame. Exactly. Um, so we haven't had like just a plain old omniscient narration. narrator before. Like which, we've had voiceover is, narration that was one of the characters in the story. Um, yeah. Which secretly this kind of turns out to be, but like I know what you're saying. Like right, you don't right. think that at first. You think this is the the voice of God, who's just narrating well, the story. Yeah, it's, that it's a narrator, and that is so you know, and, and you could get into like Greek, you know, Aristotle's poetics, and talk about mimesis and diegetics, and you yeah. know all of that, and 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 that's exactly it, right? So the narration does have this very mimetic sort of thing that we're being told as people you know it's like it's like the scroll at the beginning of star wars yeah, you right, know and right. and and you're yeah, getting like, like it, this I overall mean, story it's funny you say aristotle because i had like in my notes the classical chorus you know it's like the person who comes on and at the beginning of the play and and tells you what you're going to see and sets the stage. Well, and, and that's and that's exactly it. It's you, you know you get so the difference between mimesis and diegesis is is exactly that. You get so you get the 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 showing versus the telling, right? And yeah. um, there's reasons why in film, like 
most things are pretty much diegetic, but it's, it's, you know, things like subtitles, things like voiceovers tend to be the mimesis part where you're getting, you know, you're getting the telling and, and whatever. So, um, you learn though, over the course of the story, like, especially in the middle and it's almost, I think it's right at the halfway point or almost right at the halfway point that you reveal that it's actually someone talking, but you don't know who this person is. So, so suddenly not just, it's not just the story of the doctor and the master and Wilf and, you know, they're running around and, you know, the Ood or whatever, getting their dreams, but, but you get this, now suddenly you actually have a frame to it. It's yeah. it's it's something that is being observed and you know not just observed but commented upon yeah. as it happens. But then by the time you get to the end and the revelation that you know the time lords are returning or attempting to return and mm-hmm. going to bring um the end of time itself and all of that you you get this you know sense that uh that's the actual true story of what's going on. Right, right. Like everything else that's, ha- I mean, that's how they present it. And so I guess, you know, the question is, you know, which should we believe? What is really the true story? Is it the story of the doctor and the master or is it this other story right. of the time Lords? And, you know, they seem to think that theirs well, that's is the true story. What I was going to say is it, at least from this narrator, he seems to believe that his is the true story. Like, cause it's, it's all about, the master didn't realize his real role in the greater events that the like, you know, right. they didn't, right. this is the day of the time Lord. Like, you know, the, all that stuff, that's just right. the footnote to the real story, which is the fact that it's the time Lords, you know? So he kind mm-hmm. of seems to be of that opinion. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But and fact, so the fact that he's a character and not just an omniscient narrator, but like a person with a face and who's doing and saying things puts him in the story, which makes him kind of inherently unreliable in the sense that like right. we don't right. have to believe what he says, you know, <laughs> like because he's yeah. a character in the story just like they are, you know. No, and I think that's exactly the question you're sort of left with at the end is yeah that's sort of an amazing story but we don't know this we have literally have not seen the second part yet right, so right. is can we actually say but also he has enacted out the second part so yeah okay a clearly or they claim to be time lords and we don't have any reason to you know yeah say that they're wrong so maybe they are time lords but like you know we don't know what this how the second half bears out so is the second half going to bear out the way that he even thinks it's going to like he may totally believe that that's what's going to happen and yet still be wrong like he may be reliable in the sense that if you know that's what he's working towards you know like he believes that that's actually the true story but but that doesn't necessarily make it so right um Right. So I just I thought that was really interesting, and I and I like the way that that is revealed, um, you know, with the narration because it wasn't until after that first watching that I even thought, oh, do we even get narration elsewhere right. in Doctor Who? Right. I don't I don't think right. we do. And I don't we think might... not in this way, you know, other than like like I said, like a character in the story, he might have a bit of voiceover, yeah, yeah. but not 
not like this where you get like a narrator setting the stage at the beginning and end of an episode and telling you what's happening in the plot and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, and definitely that that midpoint reveal of just his face is I think definitely meant to make you go wait a minute, there's an actual guy? Like, this isn't just, like, some movie convention of we have a narrator. Like, it's not just a thing to make the show epic. It, like, wait, there, no, there's actually somebody who's saying this, you know, and, and right. you're trying to figure out who he is and everything. So right. it's part yeah, of the, and, the mystery And we of still it. don't know, I mean, other than that he's probably a Time Lord. We don't know his name. We don't know who he is, really. He seems to be a leader in the Time Lord host that has gathered Mm -hmm. but i suppose that could be wrong too you know what i mean like that that just is based on the appearance of him standing there talking and all of the others cheering you know right that's that's certainly what you're led to believe yeah yeah um so yeah anyway getting sort of then out of that narrative frame um I want to kind of go through in the order that we see initially see the characters because by the end we see sort of all of them, but yeah. um, to you know together except for Donna. But um, I want to start with Wilf mm-hmm. um, just because he's kind of the first one we get this you know vision of. Um, yeah. So interesting that he's he's the one who sort of. Uh, doesn't forget all the stuff that's going on, right? He's the one who remembers the nightmare, nightmares, the the nightmares, the fire, the war, and the insanity. Um, I like to. I just want to point out the the callback, another callback to Love and Monsters. The they forget because they must line, you know. Right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Which is a nice. So, uh, you know, I just thought that was a nice callback, worth pointing out. No, but but also I think that just sort of goes along with who will fizz right even from the first time that we met him as you know the newsstand guy mm-hmm. uh when the doctor came down with astrid and and the crew of or well the you know i guess not the crew but the uh the the passengers from um the titanic there and wilf is there in london but he's the one informing like hey remember yeah. why is everyone out of town because every christmas shit goes down <laughs> yeah yeah. That's why everyone's out of town. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's right from the beginning. He's sort of set up as that guy who remembers. He's the one who's, yeah. you know, but at that point, everyone else has left. So everyone else sort of still remembers, too. But now everyone else is sort of like Donna in a way, because yeah. Donna's the one who doesn't remember anything and not just remember right. her time with the doctor, but, yeah. but she's the one who missed all of those previous Christmas, right. Uh, yeah. things that, happened. Right. We, right, right. We go, oh, I was drunk or I was on holiday yeah. somewhere yeah. or whatever. So everyone else is again, sort of blissfully going about and we get, you know, the quintessential shot of the Salvation Army band and, you know, the people with the packages and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it's Christmas. And they're totally ignoring, you know, the fact that for the last, however many Christmases stuff has happened that has been bad. And, um, but Wilf doesn't. And so he goes to a church and he's sort of listening to the choir practice. And we see this, uh, TARDIS in the stained glass yeah, window. I love it. <laughs> uh, 
and and right so of course it reminds you of like the the other sort of ephemera that where we've seen you know like um in the roman you know rock chiseled you know right. the tardis with right well and that Donna and, and and in love and monsters again with um i forget which one of them had their sort of archaeological sightings of like you know like yeah, cave yeah. drawings of of yeah. of the tardis and stuff so yeah yeah um and then you get this woman who is behind him you know, sort of explaining, uh, she, it it was a 13th century convent. Mm. And, uh, she said, it said that a demon fell from the sky. Then a man appeared, a man in a blue box. They called him the sainted physician. (laughs) (laughs) He smote the demon and then disappeared. And I love, I love that you get a sort of semi-prophetic, you know, uh, idea, but like you can totally, right. So an alien came, he looked weird and, the doctor showed up and chased him away or killed him or something. Yeah. Um, and I, and it made me think of like, like you get these wackos who sometimes, um, <laughs> you know, talk about like stuff that's in like the Bible, uh-huh. you know, like, like Enoch, you know, was taken away by aliens kind of thing, uh-huh. you know, like, like you get the, like the, but like at the same time, it's, it's kind of fun, you know, to sort of think of like the doctor coming to medieval England. Right, right. To, you know. Well, and even even that uh, there's that there's that hint of similarity between like medieval stories of like fairy abduction with like modern stories of alien abduction. Like there's sure, like you kind sure. of are in the woods and bright lights and and you were away and nobody knows what happened. All this like you can kind of see how right. like. There's a similarity there, you know, so you do kind of like to imagine that, you know, the the kind yeah. of thing that the doctor does in like spaceships on the future on a regular basis can be kind of translated into medieval terms, you know, mm. like <laughs> they have different words sure. for it, you know, it's demon rather than alien or something, you know, but, right, but, but right. it's the same basic thing, you know. Right. And, and again, you know, you go back to that famous Arthur C. Clarke quote of, you know, any, yeah. any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. So, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, and, and definitely play with those lines in Dr. Who a plenty. Right. So, um, but then, you know, Wolf sort of turns around to talk to her again and she disappears. Yeah. She's not there anymore. So right. you have to kind of wonder what the heck that's all about. Right. Um, but we see her again later. Yeah. On the TV, there, I, I, there. So there's twice actually. Yeah. We see her once, like sort of in a brief flash, mm-hmm. but Wilf isn't looking at the TV. It's sort of in the background. Yeah. So she disappears, and then um, after that, mm-hmm. Wilf sees her a, a second time on the TV. Right. And and so I, this bears directly to a text I sent you because I sent you uh, a text that said. Something to the effect of, oh, no, <laughs> Wilf is going to have to kill the doctor, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And you were like, what? Why do you say that? <laughs> and it was the second appearance. Well, I guess technically the third appearance of the woman yeah. on the TV when she talks to him. That made that made me think that this could be a possibility. Okay. Um, because she says to him, you're an old soldier, sir. Only you were too late. The war was won and passed you by. The time will come when you must take arms. Um, 
tell the doctor nothing, his life could still be saved so long as you tell him nothing. But she also refers to that, and I didn't apparently keep this as a note. She also talks about him not killing anyone. Mm. And the idea that he didn't kill anyone, but that he would have to take up arms, and that he can't tell the doctor, Mm -hmm. and that his life could be saved, but if it can't be saved, then who's the one who's not how is it not going to be saved, I guess, comes into question. Right. And, you know, this talk of whether or not Wilf had, like, because he's like, he's sort of, you know, oh, it's not because, you know, I was afraid or anything, you know, yeah. that, that he didn't kill anyone. Like, he's like, I did my duty, you know, like, whatever. But yeah. but it was, you know, again, that idea that he's going to have to take up arms and that mm-hmm. the doctor won't be able to be saved. So is he going to have to, like, take care of him? <laughs> And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I know what you mean. And I don't, I mean, that's total, it's total conjecture on my part. I could be way off. Um, yeah. But that sort of w- was what I was thinking at that moment. So yeah. I know you won't confirm or deny anything there. Yeah, but, no, but I, um, but I think like those are all good things because, and we can talk more about these things, but like clearly like her kind of definitely flagging you know, you, you will need to take up arms, which, which, you know, prompts him to go and get his old revolver, you know, his kind of Mm -hmm. wartime gun out. Um, and, and you're getting these kind of, the fact that she's keeps appearing to him as he's the only one who can remember these dreams and he's at Mm -hmm. the center of everything. And even the doctor kind of wondering, why am I still bumping into you? Like, it's kind of like you can feel the doctor saying, like, I thought all this stopped with the Donna stuff. Like, wasn't the Dr. Donna the point of all these weird coincidences? But here we are still bumping into each other. And so there's still something kind of, yeah, like, you know, connecting us even beyond just the connection to the Dr. Donna. So, um, you know, those are all, I think... Good yeah. things to be thinking about, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I can't say, but... Um. Yeah, no, and I, I wouldn't want you to give anything away, obviously, but um, you also do sort of get the sense of a, a, a sort of quasi-military, uh, you know, order to the way that he's sort of directing his campaign to find the doctor, right? right. You know, like yeah, yeah. like he he's, he's giving orders about, you know, you go here and you check yeah. here and you contact these people and yeah. you know kind of organizing his his geriatric doctor spotting team yeah but i love that uh, it's all like the, the <laughs> pensioners and like his kind of retirement club um oh yeah yeah right you, you check with the bridge club and you check with the old boys from you know wherever and yeah, you know yeah, it's the like bridge club and like you know and and his little drawing of the police box and um right uh, and and we can't not mention his description of the doctor. This, this you know, he's sticky uppy hair. <laughs> the, he's modern sort of hair, all sticky uppy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a great. Yeah. I was laughing. The most, the you know, most accurate as, description ever. <laughs> as Wilf himself is running around town with reindeer antlers, with you know, like on his two head. pairs of antlers on his head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's That's funny. Hilarious. So, um, but they do find the doctor, and and. Uh, Wilf sort of talks to him um, in the cafe, and I want to spend some time that because that's a great little scene. Yeah. Um, and and also at 
so I mean, I, and I guess at this point, sort of expand it to the doctor and also to Donna, who, you know, we see at that point, um, because there's that, there's those recurring themes, which you sort of brought up before. Um, and, and I, you said, especially, we definitely need to talk about them again yeah. this time that, um, so there's, there's two things, right? There's sort of the regeneration teases that we've, we've been bringing up mm-hmm. and, and, and the doctor's sort of acknowledgement of his song will end soon, mm-hmm. right? The the which we got very clearly at the end of the last special, yeah. Uh, you know when he sort of saw the oud and and was like, "Is it my time? Is it time to go?" And and then we sort of talked a little bit about you know when he whispers no at the end. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what he means? And and I actually think even more so now, having yeah. seen this episode, like I. I definitely think that's what he was saying there like no it's not my time yet although in a way it kind of is and he kind of knows that it seems right because we get the well i didn't necessarily want to start talking about the Ood and stuff but we get the <laughs> fact we get the fact that he's been tra- like willfully ignoring the yeah. Ood and their call yeah and we don't know him. for how long you know we like, don't it could be a long time it sounds like he was pretty busy um, and and so that no at the end does seem a little more defiant of yeah you can't tell me when I go I yeah. get to decide that yeah um, and you get the ood saying like the the implication seems to be that even though it's time travel there's still there's still a sense in which his delay mm-hmm. is you know like they say like you should not have delayed and and the fact it's yeah. almost like even though he can travel through time if he hadn't waited so long. You know, it's like he waited too long and things are progressing faster, you know, or getting more out yeah. of the stuff with the masters more out of control because right. he waited for so long. Um, um, and I want to, we don't have to talk about his time off that much, but I do want to point out the Queen Elizabeth stuff because way back when we got the, yeah, the, in the, the, Shakespeare, the code. Shakespeare code, the setup of, you know, that she, um, we still don't know exactly what happened, but it would seem that he may have a, a spurned lover on his hands because, you know, he sort of got married. That was a mistake. And then when we see her many years later in the Shakespeare Code, she is ready for his head. So you can kind of maybe fill in the gaps there. Um, but sure. it, that's a, a long setup and a callback that I want to make sure gets noticed. No, absolutely, because cause we did wonder at the time, and I actually wondered again when I rewatched that episode with my daughter, mm-hmm. and I meant to bring it up again, but it never yeah. came up. So I'm glad I'm glad we do get a little closer. And, and I will on say, that, even if it's somewhat speculative, and I will say that will not be the last time we hear about it. So that okay. that that gap will be filled in even a little bit more. So be on the. Not for a while, actually, but be on the be on, lookout for that. Be on the lookout. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean to sort of derail the the wolf part because I think. Yeah. But I think all of that sort of goes into it because we know the doctor's mindset at this point is. Yeah. To avoid thinking about death, but it's in the cafe where he's talking with Wilf and he's sort of ready to admit that he's afraid. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't want to die. Um, and and he's talking about um 
Well, again, he says to the youth, last time I was here, you said my song would be ending soon, and I'm in no hurry for that. So we get that mm-hmm. explicit reference, but that's that's kind of shortened to the point. But, like, you know, he's talking to Wilf, and, and we get this, you know, um, sort of discussion about death. You know, I can still die. If I'm killed before regeneration, then I'm dead. Even then, if I change, it feels like dying. Everything I am dies. Some new man goes sauntering away, and I'm dead. Uh, and that's we haven't heard that from the doctor no. before. No, not and in I that know... sort of explicit way. Even though we've kind of talked a little bit about, yeah, um, and... you know how regeneration is a sort of a form of death. Like this is him sort of explicitly acknowledging that. Yeah, and I so... think I, it's something that, from what I can tell, there are some fans of the classic series who take kind of offense at that because I think the fact that that's never really been explicit that explicitly stated before um i think there are people who kind of find that a you know not out of character but like well if it's like that why haven't we ever heard that before and like they're you know but yeah i don't really care because i i kind of think if you're gonna retell the same story the whole point is to take it to new places and this sure. is a new place and i think it adds a lot of depth to it it makes it so that well a you know we're not assuming regeneration you know i mean even if we know the story isn't going to end the doctor doesn't know that you know so for him Mm. the possibility of death is a real thing so we have to allow the character to think about that you know as a possibility and i think fear of death is a perfectly legitimate subject i don't see why that should be off limits um but also, like, even from the point of regeneration, just because it's never been stated in those terms doesn't mean that that doesn't add a new layer to it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it even adds to it, because I think what it lets you do is, even though, the, yeah, the character doesn't really die, he can be kind of reborn and live on, it... And we talked about this when Christopher Eccleston regenerated, of Rose's grief at that and how difficult it was for her to get over it. I think when yeah. you think about it in terms of a death, what it lets you do is mourn for your doctor. You know? it'll Now, it's not saying the story doesn't go on, and it's not saying that the next guy isn't fantastic, but it lets you legitimately be sad when one of them leaves. You know? it mm-hmm. Because it's kind of callous to just say they're all the same and they're interchangeable. They're not, you know, like I was sad when Christopher Eccleston left and he's very different from David Tennant, you know, and I'm allowed to like David Tennant and also be sad that Christopher Eccleston's gone. So Mm. I kind of like that layer of, of that, of it being a difficult thing to go through because it just gives it more, because it feels like it would be a difficult thing, you know, that, these are distinct personalities which are different from each other. And any form yeah. of change is difficult, let alone a really traumatic one. You know, even just well, as and... people, we know that change can be difficult and frightening. Um, and we're not regenerating. So sure. it seems like I... a legitimate thing to me. I, I would have two sort of things to add to that, I think. I, you know, one, I think we've talked about before none of the deaths and none of the regenerations, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my Freudian slip there, none (laughs) of the regenerations have 
have been quite as long lived as this, right? Like, right. or or have have been as portentous as this is. So, and that's why, yeah. and that's why I've been pointing that out this whole time because I think when people get bristly about it, they act as though this comes out of left field, and. I don't think it does. I think Davies very intentionally layers it in there so that mm. it's one thing if you get kind of surprise shot and it happens and you don't know what's going on. It's quite another thing when, you know, like, I mean, I could get in a car accident tomorrow, you know, and, and not know what hit me, and that's one kind of death. But it would be very different to have a death which you know is coming, like a terminal yeah, illness. a terminal, yeah. You know, and I think yeah. that's a nice, con- you know, Christopher Eccleston was a sudden thing. This is more like a terminal illness, and I think you have to allow the character to wrestle with that, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. come to terms with it slowly, and that the, it might be a very difficult thing. Well, and not only that, but the the, you know, he has faced his own death, you know, mm-hmm. he got shot by the Dalek and, you know, almost regenerated once already. Yeah. And, and you know, so it's not, it's not even an abstract thing. It's not, you know, because he, t- <laughs> I love that, you know, Wolf says, you know, well, someday I'm going to die too. Yeah. And don't you dare. Don't you oh, okay, I won't. You know, I don't plan to. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you know, but, but there is that sense of like, like, you can talk about death in the abstract, but nobody really knows what it's like to die, yeah. right? You know, until you do, and then you can't talk about it. So, there is that sense of, but actually the doctor does kind of know yeah. what he's talking about. Because he has gone through the regenerations, and even though after each... So, you know, from our viewpoint, okay, you have a doctor, he gets killed or almost killed in some way, and he regenerates, and suddenly you have a new doctor who's ready to go off. But what we're seeing is this new doctor ready to go off, and right. that's kind of what he's talking about. Some right. new man goes sauntering away. But the old doctor is gone. Yeah. Now, yes, he has all the memories. Yes, he has all of the you know, experiences and knowledge and whatever. So, yes, there is a sense but you know, in which it's the same person, but it's still not really the same person and when you don't when you've never sort of reflected on it from one side you've only ever seen it from another side Mm -hmm. you it it's yeah i think you're right that it is sort of a it's a new thing to think about it's a new way to sort of say you know the doctor is looking at it you know from this new perspective of not just i might get shot and have to regenerate someday but actually I know this is coming and it's coming soon. And, and as he says, you know, to the Ood, I'm in no hurry for that. He, he wants to keep, you know, going the way that he's going and doing the things that he's doing in the way that he's doing them now. And he doesn't want to do them as a different personality or a different person to this incarnation because he's so, you know, passionate about everything, you know, like he's a very, you know, energetic and emotional doctor I think like this personality he's the kind of person who wouldn't just be cool with getting shot and changing like he's someone who wants to do stuff and doesn't want to you know have you know 
fate tell him what he's going to do. You know, he's mm-hmm. kind of someone who likes to get, get involved and be in control and kind of, you know, have that kind of love of life, I think. So it kind of feels true, yeah. you know, for the doctor overall, but for for this personality in particular, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I don't, I mean, the whole, the whole idea that he's dying, you know, new, new guy sauntering off. I can see how that would be scary Yeah, and, and not, you know, whatever. Um, also, so then of course that leads also into the, the consideration of, you know, who, who is he with who, or who is with him at this mm. point. And they see, you know, Donna sort of out, out the window and, um, Wolf ask him, you know, who, who, well, how about you? Who have you got now? Uh, no one traveling alone. I thought this was better, but I did some things that went wrong. I need, and then he just kind of breaks down yeah. crying and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. like that's pretty crazy. But, yeah. you know, again, going back to that idea of what, you know, Donna's the one who said it to begin yeah. with, that he needs to be, you know, with someone. Um, that he shouldn't be alone. That if he is alone, he will go too far. Yeah. And now we've seen it. You know, now we've seen right. it several times. And, and you know, again, this is the Doctor without a, a true companion. Now we get Wilf entering yeah. the TARDIS. And that's great. Uh, you know, it's yeah, nice that kind of, he gets to do and it. And we had kind of... Well, I want to come back to Wilf in a sec. I mean, we've had the kind of pseudo-companions of, like, Christina or or Adelaide, or Jackson, or whatever. But, like like you said, mm-hmm. not a real committed, you know, yeah. like, prop, yeah. you know, capital C companion. And, um, you know, and definitely The Waters of Mars is the kind of climax of that theme. Not to say that that theme will never come back, but that's clearly where, you know, that, I think you said it last time, like, that that's the big mistake. Like, that's where all those, you know hints have been sort of building towards was, you know, this is what happened. Like you kind of imagine again, sort of like in midnight, things might've gone bad if Donna had been there, but they wouldn't have gone like that. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, or not even necessarily Donna, but just a companion, you know, somebody to, you know, be there for him, be there for him and be there to, you know, humanize and, you know, I guess control him a little bit or, or just to stop him, I guess, is Donna's terms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, so you get, and then I think what's really tough about it is you get, you know, Donna is really, you know, the, like you said, the one who spoke that theme out seasons ago and has been kind of the symbol of that. Um, and so you, it's when she leaves that all that, stuff happens you know it's kind of in the wake of donna's loss that we get the waters of mars and now you Mm -hmm. have you know this scene in the in the cafe of wilf saying you know don't you see you need her wouldn't she make you laugh again you know good old donna and the doctor kind of nods like acknowledging yeah i do need her yeah "Yeah, she would make it better but he can't talk to her you know so you get the kind of uh you know unfulfilled like she's there as kind of the symbol of that but because of what happened with her she he can't actually 
mm-hmm. go and talk to her about it. Um, right. right. But I do like the Wilf as, I mean, A, I just love the idea of Wilf as the companion, and Wilf in the TARDIS is like a wonderful thing. Sure, sure. Um, but it, it's appropriate too, I think. I think it, I've heard different, you know, the director and the actors and stuff say this, that it's very appropriate that Wilf is the companion, like, you know, I think it was the director said um, that scene in the cafe is two old men at the end of, the, oh, yeah. you know, talking about death, you know. And so in at the end of the kind of in this moment of facing the end of your life, potentially, mm-hmm. you his companion is an old man who is not imminently facing death, but like closer than most of the not these kind of. Yeah. young, vibrant companions. You know, you get and, this kind of old soul. Um, so it's like there's like a, re- a mere reflection there of the two of them. Yeah. And, and you know, a companion who has seen mm-hmm. death and who has experienced, you know, horrors, which we got, you know, alluded to, um, you know, back in, in uh, Turn Left, right? When... Uh, yeah. You know, he's talking about this, you know, it's happening again, the labor camps and all of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, he he's he's an old soul, but he's he's certainly not naive or forgetful. Right. You know, yeah. he doesn't have, uh, you know, Alzheimer's or whatever. You know, he, he's aware. And in fact, the only one who is aware yeah. in this particular case of what is really going on um, outside. Yeah, no, I, I totally thought I... And I mean, it's it's a testament to well both of their acting abilities, but mm. tenant, you know, especially of that you do get the sense of an old man, yeah. and not just an old man, but both of them who are also veterans, right? You know, because again, the doctor was in a war and he yeah. had to do an atrocious thing, um, and that's punctuated by the fact that. You know, at, by the end, you know it's the Time Lords coming back. So you right. have to think about the implications of the Time War and yep. what the Doctor did, you know, in that part of it. And so that whole cafe scene is absolutely, you know, like, it's basically a Hemingway story, you know, like in the middle <laughs> of yeah. everything else that's going yeah. on in this episode. Yeah. And and we're talking like, you know, clean, well-lighted place Hemingway story, not like, you know, yeah. Nick hornby stories uh-huh. um nick hornby oh god no that's wrong what what's the the nick uh hemingway stories now that's gonna bug me um oh anyway i don't know uh, sorry nick adams okay the nick adams stories oh man that was a really bad <laughs> bad 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 um no it does the, like I, and I think that's something the director said about that, too. It's like, on Christmas Day, you know, like, primetime family entertainment when you've got, like, you know, all this crazy stuff, like wacky green aliens and Time Lords and the Master becoming President Obama and all this, like, really nutty stuff. You, like, this central scene is two mm-hmm. guys sitting across a table in a restaurant talking about death. Like, it's yeah. so... It's so perfect because of how unusual it is compared to... And that's Doctor Who all over again. I mean, and Buffy, too. That that juxtaposition of the epic and the supernatural Mm -hmm. and the genre stuff with, like, the most 
domestic, the most mundane, the most human, you know, kind of brings it back down to that, you know, this is what it's really about. You know, like, it's about yeah. Time Lords, it's about all that stuff, but all of that stuff is kind of there so that you can have this scene, you know, which is about, you know, death, which is sort of the most universal experience of all, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so sort of before we move on, the, the one last thing I wanted to say about the whole death conversation is, you know, it's I and, and I haven't I mean, obviously, I haven't read sort of the same criticism that you have. So but, you know, the other thing that you have to sort of forgive here is that, yes, the doctor's talking about regeneration like dying, but also there's a very real sense that he may be dying, dying, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he, he, uh, you know, he, he says I can still die if I'm killed before regeneration, then I'm dead. But he doesn't know what it means that his song will be ending. Soon. Right. Right. That, that may not, it could just mean that then a new song will take place and you use that as a metaphor for regeneration and that's all good. Could mean that songs over right. concerts <laughs> yeah. concerts done go home everyone you know yeah. go yeah. home everyone yeah. get in your cars and yeah drive if you haven't had too many to drink so you know it there there's a very real sense in which even though he sort of shifts the conversation into talking about regeneration and and again i'm you know by this time people know that there's you know that moffat's taking over right. and there will be a regeneration probably at some point yeah i don't and maybe would would people have known who the new actor was who was playing the doctor by this point? Or maybe um, you don't know. I'm not going to confirm that right now. We can talk about that later when it's relevant. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, that's fine. And, it, but I to guess... To say that would, I think, give things... To say yes or no, I think, would give it away. Um, well, no, that's fine. So, it, so I, guess, I guess my only point was, like, even... Yes, sort of in the external world, you know, we may or may not we at least knew that there was another show continuing so yeah. you know your song will end soon doesn't necessarily mean the end of the doctor right. in in some form or another right. but to say that and and to expect that the character is thinking the way that we on the outside looking in right. is thinking just doesn't yeah. make sense and that doesn't make for a good story exactly. either like yeah. you don't you you don't want the characters to have the same knowledge that we have all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, that, that would just be sort of the other thing that I would say there is that you really do have to consider it from that viewpoint of not just, oh, I might regenerate and I'm not going to be exactly the same, but at least I'll keep living. There's yeah. a potential that he won't be. Right. And he doesn't know what that means. And that's clearly why he's been avoiding visiting the Ood in the first place. Right. And I think, so. too, especially after, you know, the, that kind of ending of the Waters of Mars, the way he says to the Ood, um, is this it, my death? And again, death could mean the death of this incarnation, you know, or it could mean death full stop but it always seems to me like he knows he's screwed up and he's expecting to be kind of judged for it like mm -hmm. like almost like like he's he's gonna be struck down in that moment or something you know, and it's like maybe that's taking it too far but you kind of have the sense of 
again, like, he knows he went too far and he has to pay a price for it. And that price mm-hmm. could be pretty hefty. You know, it could be yeah. a regener. And, and I mean, we've got other stuff too. Like we had the regeneration with the hand that he kind of put off. So I think like all of that is kind of contributing to this idea of like putting off something inevitable and does it get bigger and bigger the more you put it off, you know? And especially once you start, you know, doing the kind of, messing with your proper role stuff that he did last time you know i think there's this sense Mm -hmm. of like you know it's not just like oh regeneration might happen and it's sad or death might happen but like something that no it is time and it is sort of you know something that's kind of right from a actually i thought of that last time the way he said that to adelaide of um you know your death creates the future and that's right. Like there's a rightness to it and there's a time mm. and a place. And you get that kind of sense of like, you know, it's not just something which might happen, but something that has to happen, you know, which kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah. I think the same thing, like you were saying, it makes, you have to allow for the character to not know what's going to happen and to worry about that. And it's kind mm. of, I think, a little bit ridiculous to say that because we as the audience know or expect certain things to happen that that dictates that the characters have to feel a certain way about it um yeah yeah um so i guess in talking about all of that like we should probably say a little more about the ood um we already so he goes they built this great civilization in like a hundred years mm-hmm. and he's like, wow, that's way too fast. <laughs> and, and there's something sort of affecting, um, which it, it appears to be the return of the time Lords is mm. what's doing that. That, that would be my interpretation anyway. I guess I don't know that for sure, but, yeah. um, yeah, I think that seems, that seems to be the implication. Yeah. Um, the, the, most interesting part of like the whole thing with the Ood, I thought was the sort of the mantra at the beginning when they're, when the doctor walks in and you get this Ood saying, you know, returning, returning, returning. It is slowly returning through the dark and the fire and the blood, always returning, returning to this world. It is returning and he is returning and they are returning. Um, <clears throat> but too late, too late, far too late. He has come. Mm-hmm. And then like the doctor is like there, like yeah. walking in. Yeah. But of course there's also the sense in which the, he has come is like, like, oh, does that mean the master? Right. Like, you know, what, who are you referring to? Or does it refer to both? Right, right. And and the same thing with the it is returning and he is returning and they are returning. Right. And you're like, well, what what's the he, the it, and the they right, like right. there? And so by the end, I think we're meant to think of they as the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. But it could also mean the doctor and the master, mm-hmm. you know, are together sort of returning. But then there's the he is returning. So is that is that the master, but then there's still the, it is returning. And that's the thing that I don't mm. know. It is returning. What, what is it? What is the, it that is returning? Right. Right. I don't have a clear sense of, I don't have a theory of what that might be. Okay. The others, I think, you know, I'm fairly solid in my yeah, yeah. interpretations, but, but the, it is returning. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't know that. Yeah. I'll just say that's a great, that's a very subtle thing, but it's a great thing to notice. So, that, so that's yeah, worth anyway. noticing. Yeah. Um, 
whatever that may be, that would be that yeah. would be one interesting thing I thought from the Ood. Um and then, you know, you get all the flashes and I like that you get sort of the the um you know the 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 well uh what do you the foreshadowing i guess mm. um of of the different you know people so you get the master and lucy and you get um you know the naismiths mm-hmm. and you get wilf and they're all like we don't know what all this means and yeah. we're like yeah we're right there with yeah. you like <laughs> yeah. even though like we know who the characters some of the characters we yeah. don't really know the naismiths at that point but you know right. we know who some of the characters are but we don't know what it means either so all right we're right there with you we're okay we've got these pieces now let's put them together see how they yeah. play out and, yeah and even you know. like the cryptic kind of the king is in his counting house and all this stuff like you know mm. you just kind of that kind of prophetic language of of you have these images but you don't know what they refer to or what they mean um mm-hmm. and i like to it's the same kind of thing in um the the parting of the ways that that scene where Rose is talking about how it's you know two hundred thousand years in the future but it's happening now like there's that sense of right. time all being like a timey wimey ball rather than a straight line you know it's all present yeah. even though it's past present and future that things because of the loops and the causality you know things and at all times affect each other non-linearly. So you get that sense of, they say, like, time is bleeding, but events from years ago are threatening to destroy this future and the past and the present. Events that have happened are happening now. So, like, Mm. and I like that kind of juxtaposition of the Doctor can be running to his TARDIS, you know, 50 million years in the future, but that is contrasted with Lucy in the prison. So you kind of get the sense that they're happening in parallel to each other, you know? Right. Um, right. And that there's an urgency to his getting there as soon as possible, yeah. which, which again, the loot, the loot, the Ood <laughs> talked about, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that he should have come sooner. Yeah. And the sense that the doctor gets there too late. Right. He gets there too late to stop the, partial or you know messed up resurrection of the master and you know he gets there in time to see this smoking hulk of a machine or of a building you know uh and and just doesn't really you know he's not able to get there in time even though like you said it's like he's a time traveler and and you even get that sort of like well like well you're a time traveler can't you just go back you know, like a day or so and, you know, whatever. But no, there's there's something about the fact that he missed that opportunity that yeah. makes it so that he can never go back and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. So we should talk, talk now about Lucy and the Master because I feel like we'll run out of time if we don't sort of switch yeah. <laughs> uh, over to them because... Um, was not expecting Lucy to get blown up. Right. Um, yeah. But she does. So um, the whole, like, so the the seeing, you know, the vision of the lady, whatever, I don't even know if we ever mm-hmm. get her name, picking picking up the master's oh, right. ring. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we get, like, we saw the picking up of the ring, even though we didn't know who it was before. Um, and that's fine. I, you know, I... 
it was one of those things like, oh, yeah, of course, I remember that happening. Yeah, um, yeah actually. Um, not 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 like the, you know, uh, Queen Elizabeth stuff where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, OK. But more like, yeah, 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 that I've, I've been waiting for that to come around. Like I knew it was going to come around again at some point. Uh-huh. I just didn't know when or how or. Yeah. I mean, knew, I suspected. Right. Actually, Davies said he didn't know for sure that he would ever use that. He kind of put that in in case. Oh, really? He kind of put it in in case maybe somebody someday will want to bring back the master and I've given them a loop. I've given them a foothold. Mm. But then after thinking about it, he thought, oh, I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so he didn't know. Oh, that's interesting because that seems like. That seems like a pretty clear, like. Well, definitely. Like there are things, yeah. you know, there are things where you can say, "Oh, you know, well, we kind of did something, and and later we sort of retconned it or whatever." Like right. that, it doesn't seem no, like a retcon. Like, like that a seems like, something. and maybe he thought he yeah. he knew he would how he would use it if he did, but he wasn't sure that he would u- mm. he would use it. It was more like sure. it was more to have some sort of an open end to the whole master thing but then it is kind of hard to imagine it not going this way because you're getting again the circularity of you know that tenants doctor having the showdown with the master like who else would he have a showdown with and like you know kind of you know and you're kind of seems to be like a a setup like it's hard to imagine that not being a setup for this um but sure. it's just funny how that it seems yeah, it seems no, inevitable in retrospect, but at the time, you know, they're just sort of trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um so yeah, you get the you you get that payoff anyway, and, and you get the master sort of coming back, but um strange that he like has like superpowers now. Right. Like yeah. he can jump really high and can sort of pseudo fly mm-hmm. with like the electricity beams or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, his, he's really hungry all the time, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess like an overactive, you know, uh, metabolism or something right, right. going on. And not just hungry um, for turkey and burgers, but like for homeless people and, <laughs> Hungry for, yeah. in a, in a yeah. not nice way, either. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, yeah, like the the this is kind of a weird episode, it just is. in the way that it's sort of presented, and you know the different. Um, the different cuts and the different, like, like you just get like the master just sort of standing there. And then there's David Tennant, like standing, you know, right on the hill yeah, they, kind of thing. They, like they said that in the commentary, they, they kind of were like, yeah, this is kind of unusual. Like we don't do stuff like this. We're like, there's no dialogue. It's just sort of people standing and being and listening. Well, and, and you get that very, I love that. Um, I love the fact that we've been hearing for episodes about the knocks, um, and you yeah. you get the master doing 
beating his rhythm of four, you know, into the trash can. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you don't get a, like, verbal reference to it. It's not like no. the doctor ever goes, no. ah, there's the four knocks. It's just, he just listens right. to it, and then he runs toward it, you know? And right. so... And, well, and there's sort of a look of, like, that's that, it. Yeah, like, like uh -oh. You do get yeah, and a it's visual not, it's not cue, like you're, but, yeah. But, but you're expected to understand it on your own. You know, it's sort of oh, like absolutely. they let you do that work in that moment. And I like that. Um, well, and, and again, I think that was my text to you. I, you know, when that happened, I said, of course, <laughs> the doctor's rhythm is or the master's rhythm is the four beats. Like, I think anyone who has watched these episodes immediately has yeah. to get that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't I don't it's. It would be extremely difficult not, not to. to get that. Yeah, and I think um, you you then in retrospect go back to the doctor saying last week that he thinks he knows what the four knocks might be. Yeah. And you kind of think, yeah. this is probably what he's thinking, I would imagine, you know. I mean, what yeah, again, you, you sort of, be? Yeah. you sort of would have to, like, he, because he's the one who picked up on that. What is, what is that rhythm? Like, even before anyone else sort of realized. Right that there even was a rhythm he was picking up on it you know and and knew you know heard the da 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 right right you know to it and 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 so yeah of course when the the master beats that huge steel drum mm -hmm. yeah he he he's it just makes sense at that point to us and to the doctor but i like too that the master him. doesn't know the significance of that like he knows the rhythm is important to him and he knows that the doctor knows that that's his sort of signature mm -hmm. you know but he doesn't yeah. know i don't think the significance of whatever this prophecy like is the prophecy you know yeah. so there's this kind of yeah. extra layer of you know kind of a coincidence but also kind of doom on top of it like it's not mm. like he's trying to psych out the doctor in that way like he's just doing his crazy thing but the dot, sure. but it has extra resonance because of, you know, and that's almost like worse in a way for the doctor because right. the doctor, you know, I, there's that scene where the doctor like mind melds with him, and the doctor's right. like, "It's just your insanity. Like, there's nothing. What is that? What does it mean? Like, well, but there's nothing the, there. But also, isn't that's funny." I don't know if I'm understanding you right, because I kind of take that as the doctor's always assumed it was just his insanity, but he's hearing it for the first, like he heard it. So if it's not, if there's something to hear, then it's not just that he's crazy. There's actually something there. Well, he's, he says, but there's no noise. I heard it, but there's no noise. There never has been. It's I just think he's insanity. in denial a little bit. I think it's... What is it? What's inside your head? I, well, that may be. I'm just telling you what the doctor says. Yeah. No, I, I'm I just, just going by... I'm interpre I interpret that differently. Like, I think that's him kind of saying, how can I have heard something if, as I always believed, there's nothing there? But if I hear it, then, you know, because then the master kind of takes that to mean it's not just me. It's real. There's actually something there. If I can let you hear it then you know something's calling me what is it um so maybe we can come back to that next week but um yeah maybe i i <laughs> guess i'm just i'm just saying at that point that well whatever 
I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, like, I mean, it's it's hard to talk about, I guess, without the second half. Yeah, but, yeah, it definitely uh, is. You know, the, the, the implication there seems to be that, you know, he's saying that there's something not quite right going on here. Like, how can you, you know, how yeah. can you be doing this and not knowing what it means? Mm-hmm. It is... It's just your insanity. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Let's come I, back to that next time. All right. Because I think we're lacking the the full information, so I think we'll get more out um, of it next time. Um. So so then, yeah, you do get these kind of like weird like, you know, the night scenes where like they're sort of fighting and chasing each other, and the doctor's like, "Let me help you," and. The master, of course, refuses mm-hmm. any sort of help. Um, but then you get sort of the plot movement again with the Naismith army coming in and knocking out the doctor and capturing mm-hmm. the master. Um, and you find out that this whole, you know, that the, that there's a... So I'm not... I guess the Naismith project, whatever we call that, the the... Mm-hmm. big device that they're the, trying to get the working. The immortality gate. The immortality gate, yeah, yeah. The That that was sort of going on in parallel. Like, like that was already happening. Right, right. yep. And so now the, the sense that I got, and I think they say something to this effect, but I don't remember exactly, is that, the, like, they're looking at the Master's return as a sort of fortuitous event, but it's not, like, they didn't have a hand in helping... To get the master right. back, you know, alive. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think so because I always laugh when there's the line about um, Naismith saying something about Abigail hearing rumors of the master's return and that she it's the sort of thing she finds rather thrilling. And I always think, what circles does she travel in if she hears stuff like this? Right. And you get kind of like a creepy... I always get kind of an incesty vibe off the two of them anyway. Yeah, um, there's a weird they're very, they're, relationship they're very, between um, them. A little un- uncomfortably into each other, I think. Um, mm. But so you get definitely, I don't think they're directly involved in that kind of cult of Saxon, which resurrects him, but they seem to have knowledge of it. Like they seem to be, they know that he's more than just this old prime minister and and they suspect that and and maybe are even sort of on the lookout for hints that he might be coming you know returning Mm -hmm. i guess but um and have access to this you know footage of this figure escaping the exploded prison and everything so um yeah i think it's something which was being they were working on anyway but they're sufficiently creepy enough that they were sort of looking into maybe organizations that were attempting to resurrect yeah. the master and stuff. They're, they're tapped into the network of evil that yeah, I think so. You know, pervades the globe. Um, yeah, so you know, I don't, I don't even know how interesting all of that is. I mean. You get you get the de- so okay big device that can impact everybody mm-hmm. check aliens who are sort of mm-hmm. helping you know so that they can steal it check mm-hmm. um, the master of course subverts 
like they need the master to uh you know fix it but mm-hmm. of course he does something to it that does more than just right. merely fix right. it so right. you know check we we got all these sort of little plot devices yeah. that are moving us into a situation where it's just the doctor and wilf and presumably donna mm-hmm. who are not changed into the master right right um and and you know again end of end of part one heightening of tensions yeah, yeah. donna is starting to remember mm-hmm. uh stuff that's going on and wilf is realizing that she's starting to remember and of course causing him anxiety yeah. the doctor is anxious because now everybody is the master because <laughs> it's like um, six billion versus one and <laughs> and 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 if if that's not enough now you have this time yeah. lord thing thrown into the yeah. mix so it's about as bad as it can get. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and I like, I mean, what? I don't have, I, I agree, like, um, the Naismiths are kind of there as sort of, you know, the excuse to have this sort of immortality gate. Definitely, they're more plot devices. Um, but the only thing I guess I would point out about them, too, is that, again, back with this theme of kind of fear of death, you have you know, the doctor facing all that stuff. You've got um, the master, you know, being resurrected and, and you know, presumably wanting to stay resurrected. Um, you know, you've got the Time Lords, like you said, returning or trying to return, which is in a sense kind of evading their own death and demise. Um, and you've got the human characters, too, working on immortality for themselves Mm. so you've got sort of you know it's not i like how that theme is woven into the whole episode you know it's not just um something that the doctor's going through but it's like that's kind of the big theme is this like you know sure everybody is in their own way kind of trying to avoid their own death you know so yeah so i think they kind of lend themselves to that like it seems like if there was going to be a human element it would be because humans are the even contrasted to like the doctor and the master and the time lords and everything it's humans that have to face death anyway so Mm -hmm. it would make sense that they're trying to avoid that yeah well and you get so you get the title of his book right fighting Fighting the future future, exactly which is so a couple things on that one it made me think of that x-files movie which in the 1998 X-Files movie, which the subtitle of it was Fight the Future. Totally random reference. Mm. Just thought I'd bring it up. Um, But yeah, so you get the idea of immortality, right? Fighting the future, fighting the inevitable, the, you know, death. But also there's the sense of the future and time travel and all of that. So, you know, sort of brings in the multiple levels there. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I love Wilf's reaction. Like, why did you get me this? <laughs> like, yeah. what's going on? Like, what? Yeah. What does this have to do with anything? Um, yeah. It seems, but then you know, seems to be a little bit more to it. At least the doctor suspects that there's more to it. That it's the doctor Donna, uh, you know, sort of shining through a little mm-hmm. bit and and being tapped into these underlying currents, which I think is sort of confirmed by the fact that she's not changed along right, with everyone else, right. that there seems to be something preventing her from being changed. Something, if 
if the template is for humanity, yeah. something non-human right. about her. Right, yeah, you, know. you kind of, I mean, I don't know quite the mechanics of it, but definitely I think you have the sense of whatever the Doctor did to kind of cover, you know, seemingly not entirely erase her memories because they start to come out at the end. So, you, so I, I imagine it as being a more of a covering up. You know, more like a block yeah, or and, something, um, and that there's those memories and maybe the time lordiness are sort of latent in her, but she doesn't access them. So it, so the memories are still in there, kind of somewhere, and that it seems to be protecting her from this change. You know, because there's something extra in there. She's not just a human. She has, you know, whatever is left of that kind of time lordiness in her too mm-hmm. um yeah that's how sure. i read it anyway yeah no we, something along those lines i don't i don't know what but yeah there seems to be something that's preventing her from changing and that's causing her to remember this stuff mm-hmm. so uh yeah what do you what so, do you make of all the the master as everyone Oh, that was absolutely hilarious. Um, I, I, so whoever that, I forget the actor's name who Johnson. plays the master. He's just absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I love, you know, the various, yeah, him in a dress, him in the oversized yeah, clothes, yeah. him in the, well, there's multiple dresses that we see him in, I think. And, and just all the different, you know, uh, playing it up, you know, especially at the end where he's like waving from balconies right, right. and dancing in the courtyard. There's like, and and you see like if you like watch the second time around, I because the first time around you're just sort of like laughing at it and kind of trying to absorb it all. But the second time around, I was like trying to watch individual members like in that courtyard. Like yeah. there's one guy who like takes his hat off and like flips it in the air, but then like another one comes and grabs it and like puts it on and starts dancing. Yeah, and yeah. like, it's just like all these just very little, like you have to wonder, like, I mean, I guess some of that could have been done, uh, you know, with CGI or whatever, but I mean, they, enough of them yeah, are like close up, sh- close up enough shots. They did a lot of it by just him changing clothes a lot. Different camera. Um, well, I, and that's what I was going to say is like, there's, there, there's enough like close up shots of yeah. him and like you see his face and stuff that it seems like it would have been hard to make it look as good as it did yeah. without having him actually doing it. So right. just, I, yeah, the no, they fact talked that about they that in the... took the time and effort and that and that, you know, the the ability to think of so many different things that he's <laughs> things doing do, sort yeah. of simultaneously. Well, uh, and holding yeah, himself, just... holding himself so differently, like in that journalist scene, you know, you get some kind of very demure ladies with their ankles crossed. But then you get like, you know, the guy in like the kind of, you know, overweight suit who's just clapping and then somebody else is jumping up and down and like mm-hmm. to have to not just wear all the different clothes but like make them distinct from each other too and everything right the personalities yeah. of the people yeah. who would fit in those clothes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and yeah. i i think my favorite part too is the um when he's I, the whole obama stuff just cracks me up um but the when yeah the references the, to Obama fix the fixing recession. the but, um, recession yeah when he 
when he realizes he's the president and then he goes, the financial solution, deleted. Like, it just, yeah. like, takes it away like that. Like, yeah. It's such well, a, and there's no need for one. If they're all the master, yeah. then they're all just going to be okay with each other and, yeah. you know, do whatever they need to do. That kind like, of dismissal of, like, real-world economic crisis, you know, which is, like, causing all this devastation. And he's just like, nah, never mind. Um, yeah. It cracks me up. So, pretty funny. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know where any of this is going at this point. Um, part two, TBD. Well, actually, about five minutes. I'm gonna start watching it. <laughs> um, so you know, I guess we'll see where it all ends up. And 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 yeah, we get that final. You know, it closes again. It 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 closes the frame with mm-hmm. the revelation of the Time Lords and and quite a lot of them, it seems. Yeah. So um, you have to want. So yeah, you get this. You have to wonder, like, what what happened because we got the sense, you know, with Davros that he came out of the Time War, right? With or um, what was the Dalek? Yeah, Dal- Dalek uh, Khan. Da- Dalek Khan, mm-hmm. yeah, who went into the Time War and came out. But now we have this whole group of Time Lords. And I guess I guess there's two possibilities. One, that they were the Time Lords that were in the Time War and all that. Or that there's some other completely different set of Time Lords. So I don't know what's right. Those seem to be the two primary possibilities right. anyway. Um, whether... Whether either one of them is correct, I guess, remains to be seen. Yeah. And how how the whole, uh, all the master race, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> how that all plays out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be looking into that, I guess. <laughs> Sounds good. So, anyway. All right. Well, let's finish up so that you can go see how it all plays out all right sounds good what else what i think you might have had a few production notes you wanted to just sort of mention i didn't really have a whole lot um i mean i think we kind of i mean obviously i i don't think i need to say this you know this and people who've been listening should know that this is the first part of the russell davies era finale so you know we're looking at the last Russell Davies episode ever next oh, week. It's very wow. sad. Um, very sad. And yeah, so this was a Christmas day episode and the next one is actually on new year's day. So they were one week apart. Um, mm-hmm. they're the only ones so far in new who to do the part one and two in the title, you know, for what that's worth. Um, the classic show used to do that all the time. Um, but uh, this is the only ones that do that so far here. Um, and uh, I guess, I mean, worth noting that John Sim and Bernard Cribbins as the Master and Wilf get main title credits, you know, as kind of the the co-leads sure. this time. They get sort of promoted to the titles. Yeah. Um, you know, nice. fittingly. And um, next, the, the, the finale of the Davies era episode is a little bit longer than even a normal special it's it's about 75 minutes so an hour and 
10 or 15 minutes or something. So, you know, okay. if anybody is watching this on their lunch break or something, just be aware of that. Um, worth, It's worth noting so that you can budget the time in. But um, that's everything I have. So we'll have to come back to this next week. Sounds good. See you then. Thank you.